today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's Workplace Podcast. Welcome to Today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. You know, we are seeing increased union activity, and we're also seeing unionization of some organizations, whether it be Amazon or Starbucks, that have have been successful in avoiding unionization um, in the past. So what do you think is driving this change and why um, companies that have historically um, been successful in avoiding unions are now seeing um, the unionization of parts of their workforce? That's a really um, complex question, Barbara. Um, and so I'll give you a complex answer. Maybe I'll start there. Okay. Um, there's so much that's driving it. You know, we oftentimes think about challenges that impact employees in vacuums. So the George Floyd and all that social action that occurred there, we don't try to connect that to employee activism, even though we know it is. We don't connect it sometimes to uh, employee fatigue, even though we know it is. We don't connect it to employee mental health issues, even though we know it is. And when I say we, oftentimes employers don't do that. And then you couple that with uh, the many significant impacts of COVID-19, you see how the elevated visibility of labor unions and the fact that more workers have asked the question over and over, especially during COVID, would I have been treated differently if I was part of a union? You know, so then you have, um, it's almost like the, the uh, what's the statement? What comes first, the chicken or the egg? So then you have the significant number of high profile organizing campaigns, the, the walkouts, the recent strikes, the, 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 all of these efforts by 
um, organized labor to connect with the next generation of workers, the highly aggressive pro-union agenda of the National Labor Relations Board, all of those things clustered together has seen a movement that has sparked the attention of the worker. They're mm -hmm. saying, wait a minute, oh no, there's, this is a new environment going on here. Somebody is saying that they, they're, they're gonna listen to me. Someone's telling me that I'm the one that has the power. So you know what, I do have the power and I can, and I can go anywhere I wanna work in this market because folks saying they could stay at home. Um, they feel like they can do it now because they've been doing it for two years. So yeah. I have a little bit more power and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna tolerate disrespect anymore. I'm not gonna tolerate wages that are below um, my living wage. I'm not gonna tolerate working conditions. I'm not gonna tolerate you giving lip service to this thing. And the grass is probably greener somewhere else. So I'm gonna go explore it. You know, we don't have, we've lost that years ago. I remember when I went to a firm, um, my, my firm, when I moved to Richmond, the managing shareholder said, you know what, Jimmy, have you heard that statement? The race is not given to the swift or the strong, but to those who endure to the end. I said, I'm Southern Baptist. Of course, I've heard that statement. Um, <laughs> right, right. In church every Sunday. I almost <laughs> quoted it with you. <laughs> right, right, right. Of course, I've heard it. What are you using it for? And he was like, I mean, so that means we need to, you know, sometimes you just endure and stick around. And it's not necessarily the smartest lawyer. It's not necessarily the best person. But those who are here at the end of the day, that win the prize. Well, employee, employees are saying, I, I don't need to be here at the end of the day to win the prize. I can go build that prize myself. And so that mindset kind of has escaped, Barbara. That's the other thing, the mindset of employees um, demanding dignity has changed. Mm. You know, they're willing to, um, uh, you know, my wife always says, you know, we can just rent us a one bedroom apartment and live off love. Well, these people are saying that, you know, they're saying, you know, I ain't got nothing now. I ain't gonna have nothing then. Let's go for it. <laughs> and, and it's been an interesting move because it's hard for employee employers to respond to that. Yeah, I think that that's a really huge change. And you did such a great job of talking about kind of that generational shift. And are you seeing that reflected in the leadership of the unions or the, the general makeup of the membership that are, you know, uh, voting for these unions? What, what, what are those changes? We are seeing it. Um, you know, one of the things that I noticed in, in my um, and in, in, in my own practice is that there is somewhat of a no tolerance approach to union leadership. If you're not going to advocate for us, we're going to get you out of here. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a vote of no confidence. So we don't have, remember, we have all of these different uh, people in the workforce. So we have the, the baby boomers. We have those still in the workforce, bless their hearts. Hey, and, hey, and, hey, and, hey, right, hey, right. hey. And when I say bless their hearts, hey. like, 
<laughs> it's like you got to deal with these these kids or something different these days. I mean, you know, you guys know what we said we deal with our own children. Say that, right? And then we have you know uh, the the generation X, my generation, who really are the guys that the baby boomers have groomed and they've taken on those traits. And we are going to work harder. We are going to be better. And then you have the millennials who don't know what's going on. And then the Generation X is like, we're going to fight for everything. We don't know what we fight for. We're going to fight for it all. And so they are the ones that are pushing in the workforce to say, mm-hmm. uh, well, Jimmy ain't doing what he's supposed to do as president. I might need to be president. I, he ain't got no experience, no <laughs> platform, nothing that you're going to lead on. But you believe that you can do it. And that's part and parcel because that's why we raised these Generation X to believe, right? Absolutely. You can't be president. You, I, I know you normally have to go through a traditional way of maybe getting a little education and be learning. You can't go from middle school to presidency, but we teaching them that they can. <laughs> you can be exactly. anything you want to do. You can you be can anybody you want to be. That's do. right. Everybody gets a trophy because you're all special. That's right? we're all special. We all special. <laughs> but let's talk about. Let's use this to talk about kind of what happens within unions. You mentioned earlier local versus national and explain that dichotomy in terms of how unions actually function and operate and and how that impacts collective bargaining potentially and whether or not an organization is unionized. So that's a great question because um, employers really do a really good job trying to educate their employees who are trying to join a union to really investigate what you're getting yourself into because the union is a corporation. It is not, you know, your friend. It's this third party person that's being paid. Um, All of these people are being paid and they have agendas they have agendas that are oftentimes much larger than the local agenda that you have that you want wages to go up by two dollars mm-hmm. they don't have that same agenda they want to influence the presidential election so they mm-hmm. need those dollars in their coffers to buy those ads to say we want to back this guy um and they are trying to say the international and the national union organizations are selling that product to the local and saying, but if we get a bigger person in the White House or or, or, uh, in Congress, that's going to trickle down to benefit you. Whereas most oftentimes the locals are saying, but I'm not seeing it. It's not reflected in my paycheck. And because of that, uh, and, and because of the nationals approach, oftentimes the union advocate for them, the person who's assigned to their particular local isn't pushing their agenda. That person is saying, well, you know, we got about five or six contracts coming up and we're all IBEW. And so, you know, we got to make sure that we're all um, uniformed. We want to be talking and singing from the same hymnal. And someone's like, I don't want to sing from a hymnal. I I don't want to sing at all. I want (laughs) to recite poetry. Um, and, and, And they're like, nope, that's not what we do. And because of that, there is that friction. And oftentimes when that friction is there, employers win sometimes because the unions, uh, the locals are saying, well, this third party out here can't really help me. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's very challenging for them to organize themselves and have the resources themselves to form their own union, even though 
people are doing it. Uh, we know that. That's just been Yeah, done. I mean, we've seen we've seen exactly what you're talking about in real time. So it's yes. it's the reality that employers need to face. Right. So that's the that's the challenge, Barbara, of the difference in this national agenda. And let's talk about what's going on here in my backyard at this company and these working conditions and these mm -hmm. facilities and the way in which you talk to me like I'm not a person, your HR person, the way they're treating me, your policies and procedures. I don't wanna talk about what's going on across everyone else. I wanna focus on me and my company and my colleagues here. So that's what we have. We have a lot of that with mm -hmm. the locals really advocating for a look at themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And earlier, Jimmy, you mentioned, you know, you gave us a little bit of history, mentioned the fact that, you know, unions came about in the early 1930s, along with the uh, National Labor Relations Board. And at that time, of course, our economy was largely, you know, focused and based on manufacturing. There were majority of manufacturing level jobs. And, and today, though, we have big number of knowledge worker jobs, you know, so somewhere in between there, you know, the people in the service industries also started unionizing, but now you have all these knowledge workers, white collar workers. And so my question is, are there any significant differences in that mindset for each of these, you know, sets of workers, whether you're in manufacturing service or knowledge industries and, and kind of like, what are the biggest, um, biggest, I guess, differences and what are the biggest things we need to be aware of looking forward? The answer is yes and no, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are some basics that are the same, regardless of what sector, what type of employee you are, what industry you're in those basics of being treated with dignity and respect, being seen, being acknowledged, being valued, those remain the same, but they manifest themselves in so many different ways, right? So oftentimes when you're talking about the factory worker, giving them a bonus, increasing their wages, making sure that they have those uh, safety measures so that they don't hurt themselves, that's one of the way that they are seen as being dignity and respect. When you're talking about our more white collar style uh, employees, our tech guys, you know, making sure that we appreciate and value their input, that we're not dismissive of them, you know, all of those component parts for them would be just as much as, oh, um, you know, that raise because they feel like they're already compensated, but they're not being seen or heard. They're not being put on the projects that are, that they're valued. You know, interestingly enough, there is a DE&I component to all of this, right? Because what happens when you have employees in that tech world who are saying, I'm never being put on those projects. I'm not being looked at. I'm not being valued in the same way that Bob or Tom or John are being valued, but I do the same type of work. You know, it would be interesting if we had an organization that would ensure that all of us could be valued equally, that would have a grievance process when I said I was passed over for this work, even though I did better work than John or Bob, and you couldn't fire me for doing it. 
because it's going through the grievance process. So that DNI component is also uh, weaving its way into it. So those are some of the changes or, or differences, Belinda, in how they manifest themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I'll tell you is that employers are oftentimes caught flat-footed when it's not in a manufacturing or factory or you know rank and file sector they know how to fight union organizing or can learn up really quick but when it's coming from people who are professionals right yeah. they're like wait a minute this is these people what's going on here maybe we should just go ahead and you know just accept and and acknowledge the union maybe that's what we should do so i think employers are oftentimes perplexed on how to fight or how to try to remain union free how to advance its objectives when they're not dealing with uh, the factory workers or people who are not in those high tech positions yeah are there certain industries, Jimmy, that you see as more vulnerable than others? If I'm an employer and I don't currently um, have a unionized workforce, how do I determine my level of vulnerability? Sure. Well, one of the things that we saw during COVID, right, is that aggressive approach to uh, essential workers. And what that showcased to America is that uh, the retail industry, whether or not it is food services, um, whether it's fast food or grocery services, whether it's parts for places like Lowe's or Home Depot, Home Depot. all of those places, we've seen a really big push to say we're essential workers and across variety of industries, we should be recognized. We know in the healthcare field, there has been an uptick in union organizing. There was already a really robust organizing for nurses and different practitioners. But now we've seen an uptick in the, in the health industry and nursing industry because they're saying, I'm an essential worker. You're not paying me the hazard pay that you're paying everyone else. Mm -hmm. You're asking me to put myself at risk because you're not requiring people to be boosted or vaccinated. And now yes. I'm being exposed. Mm -hmm. um, so workers' rights are the ones, and, and when we see signs of workers' rights, we see them across a variety of industry. But retail should really think about it. Those peace workers, workers who, who work on piecemeal stuff, that's a high area uh, for mm -hmm. union organizing. Wow. And especially, so one last thing, especially those people who feel are, are in positions regardless, again, of the industry, where it doesn't matter what we're going through, mm -hmm. they still have to go to work, Yeah, right? So those people, it doesn't matter. We're gonna be here, you can, and I saw this, right? I saw it for my eyes where um, the National Labor Relations Board said, well, we can't have a in-person election because you know we're in the middle of COVID. And people are like, but we come to work every day. Mm -hmm. We have to come to work every day. You guys are missing the point. We are essential of the essential workers. So mm -hmm. why? I mean, we can have we can have the election tomorrow. Everybody gonna vote. Everybody gotta be here. <laughs> so, right. so you know that's really a big thing.
one question that I had in looking at some of the events of today, are there any differences in an employer strategy when you have a unionizing effort that is led by the you know existing unions versus one that's newly formed and not connected to any of the existing unions? So what we've seen is that uh, it's been handled poorly, right? <laughs> so you know you, it's hard when you have. Let me measure my words here and say it a little differently. Um, so I am a traditional labor attorney. I love traditional labor. I do this work a lot. I have mm-hmm. clients who really invest um, in, 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 uh, in invest in, in me and allow me to help them manage their uh, traditional labor issues. But I also split my practice and I am a, uh, I'm outside of the traditional labor world and DE&I and employment litigation and all of that stuff. So I see a lot more than traditional labor. Oftentimes when you have folk who only want the traditional labor lawyer, and I'm not saying that they are not learned, they're not up to speed, they're excellent. We have tons of excellent traditional labor lawyers who mm-hmm. really sharpen their craft. But you oftentimes have that playbook that you use that isn't connected to what's going on in the DE&I world, what's going on with the rising wave of employee activism. Mm-hmm. This playbook doesn't work here. Now, we know that some playbooks don't work in different industries and different places, and we have to adjust. But, you know, why aren't we using TikTok? They're using TikTok. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can't use TikTok. Oh, we can't, you know, no, this is the way we need to do it. We got to do this. Oh, don't establish. So it is hard to push employers who are used to doing it a certain way because that's who they've hired to do it differently. And I am just really fortunate to have employees who trust me and yeah. say, this is how you reach those employees. So it is different, Belinda, on mm-hmm. how you reach them, the mechanism and platform that you use to reach them, how you communicate with them. You know they communicate differently than the way in which your tradition, they don't have email. They you're embarrassed that you emailing now when you're trying to make you know a latte. It was written their email. But you can look at that TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> five second, uh, you know, you can look at all those different things, right? But do it on the gram. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. even though even though it's traditional law, you don't have to employ traditional tactics. I mean, I think that's the the takeaway because we do think of it as traditional labor law, but you you do have to be creative and think outside the box if you're an employer and you're trying to persuade your employees that they don't need a union. That's exactly right. You need to remind them of what they're getting. You know, you need to remind them. And and sometimes people are like, well, we don't. I mean, they already know that. No, they don't. You haven't bullet pointed them. You haven't told them about it. You haven't told them exactly what they get. They are not reading that handbook that talks about all those benefits, that they get senior care services for their aging parent. They don't even know that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, what else have we missed 
in terms of, or what else do we need to know in terms about, uh, in terms of those things that employers need to have their sights on in terms of what to expect in this new landscape that we're in? So the last thing I think I'll leave with is that the National Labor Relations Board and its current general counsel is pursuing an agenda that is robustly enforcing this concept of expanding protected concerted activity. Everything is protected because all of the activity is to ensure that employees are advocating for fair and uh, fair wages and safe conditions. Mm-hmm. And so that definition has been expanded by this particular general counsel. So oftentimes when we could say, well, this, this type of statement, you, you're going on blasting people, we used to say Facebook, you're going on blasting people on Facebook, now it's Instagram. You're blasting the employee or your supervisor on Instagram and you're saying all these horrible things about them. There's a there is a you know difference that crosses the line. But now you're hearing uh, you know, because of some interpretations of the general counsel saying, maybe not. Maybe the approach is the same. Uh, maybe it's not the best approach, but the point is the same. And they made that language to say unfair wages. So these are those couple buzzwords in there. You can say all you can talk about Jimmy Robinson and call him everything. What what you what when you say, but a child of God, you call right. him everything under the sun, but a child of God. But you say, and I would love some fair wages. That covers you, right? Before they would say, no, 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 that doesn't cover you. There is a difference now under this concept of um, expanding the protective concerted activity, those things are gonna be covered. So I'm concerned about um, the civility uh-huh. which we are about to see loosen in the national labor relations world. And remember, the National Labor Relations Board does not just protect employee rights inside unionized workforces. It protects employees' rights anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if you're a private employer, you're not a unionized workforce, they can still file an unfair labor practice charge against you. Yeah. And, and the um, new general counsels to say, we're coming for you. Wow. Very yeah. interesting. And that's very, very helpful to know. <laughs> Buckle up, as you said. Buckle up, people. (laughs) Get ready. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy, for joining us on today's um, workplace and sharing information about unionization post-pandemic. It's been delightful having you as a guest. And thank you for the important information that you've shared. Yeah, and, and I'll just say real quick, Jimmy, your love of traditional labor it comes through because I've ne- I'm excited about traditional now, just Good. listening to you. So Good. thanks. You just shared so much for an incredibly relevant topic for today. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you, ladies, for having me. You've been listening to today's workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reach. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. 
For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.